So Colossians 3, verse 1 says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. In other words, look up and quit looking around you. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Let me pray before we get into this. God, we thank you this morning. We thank you that you're good and you're faithful and you're continually helping us, leading us, guiding us, help, uh, just, just taking care of things for us. Your word says you work all things together for the good of those who love you and who are called according to your purpose. And God, we thank you for that this morning. And I ask that you would just give us ears to hear this morning, God, that the word would become revelation to us, that we could apply to our lives and change the way we represent you in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, I want to look at in, in this first verse, it says, if then you were raised with Christ. Immediately before Paul starts anything, he deals with identity. Raised with Christ is identity. Paul said, before I can get into anything we're going to deal with and anything I need you to understand and take on, first, I need you to understand your identity. I need you to understand who you are. Raised with Christ. Uh, and the amplified version of this says, sharing in his resurrection. So that tells us that everything Jesus accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection, he shared with you. And uh, if you're taking notes, uh, I'm, I'm a big note taker, so I like to have all this stuff. If you want to write these scriptures down, we're not going to go to them. But based on that concept, Colossians 2 and 12, Second uh, Corinthians 4 and 14, Ephesians 2 and 6, and Romans 8 and 11, which you may not have got all those, but I like to just have them for you to have, for you to take and study. Uh, so Paul's dealing with, if then you were raised with Christ, that's salvation, that's transformation, that's the moment that you were uh, accepted Jesus Christ, you're immediately raised up with him in his resurrection. Uh, that's what you get access to, everything that he made available. Second uh, Corinthians 5 and 17 says, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things pass away and behold, all things become new. This is what he's talking about. If you have been raised with Christ, then the old has passed away and all things are made new in that moment. At that time, things are completely changed. So Paul is about to charge us with a tall order in Colossians chapter 3. So first he needs us to know who we are and all we have access to. Nisha, if you can give me my first slide. Uh, I'll have several of these today just because I like to help you take notes. Uh, through the cross of Christ, we all have an, an all-access pass to the things which are above where Christ is. This is what he said in verse 1. If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is. Because of Jesus, because of everything he did, we get to access everything where he is at. He made it available, accessible to us through his death, burial, and resurrection. But the amazing thing about this is, is that all of those things that are accessible, that, are, that, that have been made available to us, he even went an extra step and Jesus said, it's imperative that I go so that the Holy Spirit may come. And with that Holy Spirit, he literally deposited everything within you that heaven has to offer. Everything that is in heavenly places has been deposited on the inside of you through salvation by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I want to back that up with Romans 8 and 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. The very same spirit 
that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that lives inside of you. So that immediately removes all the excuses of why we can't do anything awesome. As a matter of fact, uh, one thing that just so stuck out to me at the, at the young adult retreat we got to be in, one of the teachers there, she said, Jesus did everything he did in the limitations of flesh so that we would have no excuse that we couldn't do it in flesh. He come and took on just like we were. I love the song they sang uh, where it talks about he was created from dust. He took on our frame. He became like us to come down so he could say, I know everything you've been through. The Bible says we have not a high priest who does not understand, who cannot sympathize with what I've been through. In other words, he said, I lived with the same limitations of flesh that you lived in and I did everything that was possible. So we have the same spirit living within us, the same ability, the same access, the same identity is, is within us. Paul sets this passage up with identity because he's about to give us some responsibility. Paul is probably my favorite writer in the Bible because he was so good at setting things up in his writing. He knew how to get your mind in a place prepared and ready before he just hit you with whatever awesome revelation he was bringing out. And he's one of my favorite writers, and I love the way he sets this thing up. But he starts with identity because uh, with identity comes great responsibility. See, the church hasn't taken responsibility for a lot of things that go on in their community because they haven't taken on proper identity. And if I had a correct identity of who I was, then I would accept responsibility. And when you know who you are, responsibility doesn't become chores that I must perform for a a God that is looking down on me saying, you have to do this and have to do this. No, I take on a responsibility, which is an ownership, something that becomes mine. And then I can step in and begin to perform those things Uh, which have been made available. Here's the thing about responsibility, and I feel like this is what, uh, this is one of the reasons church hurt, uh, that's become a, a buzzword or whatever, but it's so real that a lot of people are being hurt, and they're being hurt by people in the church. Uh, and because of it, a lot of people won't go back to churches, they, they, they don't trust churches, and a lot of stuff, and I believe a big reason we see this happening is because of this, that if you get responsibility before you get identity, then someone usually gets hurt. If you get put in a position where you have responsibility over certain things, but you don't really know who you are, then someone in your path is going to end up getting hurt because you don't really know who you are. And if you don't know who you are, then you can't tell them who they are. And if you don't know who you are, then it's because you don't know who he is. And if you don't know who he is, then you've been given no responsibility. So we have to understand that with our identity comes responsibility. Uh, We kind of see this in Galatians 4 and 1. You don't have to go there, but he says, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is the owner of everything. A child can be the owner of everything his father has to offer, but if he doesn't really know who he is, then he has no access to all that stuff. Does that make sense? The problem is we have a lot of people in churches today who have access to everything God has to offer. We just don't know it. We just don't really understand what I have access to. So I'll live broke, busted, disgusted, defeated, oppressed, depressed, full of anxiety. I'll live in all those things because I don't know I have access to all these other things. I don't know that all of this has been made available within me. But the reality is if Jesus gave me life more abundantly, made me a new creation, gave me access to all things above, the ability to live like the people we read about in the Bible, then why don't we feel like it? We're just going to be real and ask some questions this morning, all right? 
Where is it? Where is this abundant life? Where is this life like Paul and John and Peter and these guys that we read, a bit, read about? Why does it seem like I lose more than I win? If all this that I'm saying is true and it's all been made available, it's all been deposited, it's all been given, why does it feel like I fail more than I conquer or I fall more than I accomplish? Why are these things? What's missing? What's going on? And, and I believe in, in studying and preparing for this that God began to show me that there's become a disconnect between the spirit that has been placed in you and the external part of you. There's a, there's a missing link, so to speak. And everything that happened on the inside of you is not being manifested on the outside of you because of a disconnect, because of something that's not right. Now, I want to do a little bit about uh, just, just basic teaching here, okay? This is fixing to be like Sunday school, felt board, back in the day stuff, okay? Uh, Nisha, what's my next slide? We are made up of three parts. How many of you know this? Body, soul, and spirit. I believe every new convert should have to be sat down and taught your three parts, body, soul, and spirit. Uh, the scripture I have up there, First Thessalonians 5 and 23, it's where he says, I pray that you be sanctified holy, body, soul, and spirit. Everybody, every new convert needs to be understanding this. Uh, Sister Beth just recently gave me a DVD with uh, Andrew Walmack, right? Uh, teaching on these three things. And I'm sitting here as someone who's now been preaching for about five or six years, maybe. Uh, and I'm just sitting here like, wow, this is awesome. And it's the most basic elementary stuff. I'm thinking, man, why didn't somebody sit me down and teach me this immediately as soon as I got saved? But I need you to understand that you're made up of these three things, body, soul, and spirit. The spirit is what gets saved. It's what's made new. It's what's transformed. Not your body. Just that's the way it is. Some of you are like, wait a second now. But let's look at it this way. The Bible says that if you are in Christ, that means you're saved, you've been born again, you are brand new. You're a new creation and all the old has passed away. So let me ask you this. When you got saved, did you immediately get fit? I know I didn't. When you got saved, did you look totally different? You were all of a sudden, you were young and healthy again. No, because your body didn't get saved. Your spirit did. Your spirit got transformed. It became new. All the old spirit was taken out and a new spirit was placed within you. Okay? So now salvation has taken place and no one around you can even see it. I'm fixing to help somebody. Because some of you, the Satan has lied to you and said, oh, because you don't manifest all the things that a Christian should manifest, you're not really saved. But that's not true. Because I'm beginning to learn through Scripture that you have to be saved within before you can be saved without. Okay? Does that make sense? Y'all with me? I want to take my time and teach this as good as possible. Your soul is your mind, will, emotions, your conscience. It's all that. That's, that's the middle part of you. If it was set up in sections, the spirit being the core, the soul being around that, and the body being the outside. Your body is this flesh. It's this earth suit. It's what we see. It's what we, what we live in here. So these are the three parts of us. Now, I want you to understand something knowing this. In Colossians, going back to our text, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. Paul is giving us the responsibility of seeking and setting. Now understand these two things. 
Paul said, if you were raised with Christ, that means you've been born again. You have a brand new spirit. Everything that is about God is living on the inside of you. Now that he's done that, you have a responsibility. Your responsibility is to seek and set. Seek those things which are above and set your mind on those things. This is Paul calling you to focus. See, I feel like there's a lack of focus in the church today. We get saved and we don't focus on anything. We just think we're, you know what I mean? We just said a prayer and that's it and they're all there is to it. But it's not true. You have to focus. And focus as a skill. It's a skill that can be sharpened. So it's something I have to set my mind on. And I have to be, I have to be keen on that thing. I have to understand that thing. I have to pursue that thing. So Paul is saying, now I need you to focus. I need you to seek. Matthew 7 and 7 says that if you seek, you will find. Proverbs 25 and 2, which is becoming one of my favorite scriptures, said it's the glory of God to conceal a thing, and it's the glory of kings to search it out. So God didn't hide things. Uh, it was just awesome. Uh, most of you know Brother Steve Barnett. He stopped by yesterday when I was out mowing, and me and him got to talking over this, and he made a statement that was just so awesome, so I get to use it today. He said, God didn't hide things from us. He hid things for us. And I was just like, oh, my God, that's so good. But see, this is the thing. We, we, we say this and, and we talk about these things and we read these scriptures. But in reality, the lazy Christian with a mindset of entitlement will buck against this theology. Because you don't want nothing required. You don't want no responsibility. You want to come to an altar, say a prayer, get up and go do whatever you want to. And then at the end, God just calls you home and you're perfect and holy and awesome. When in reality, Paul said, no, you have some responsibilities. Now you have to quit being lazy and you have to set your mind and focus on some things. You have to set your attention on some certain things because if you keep looking at everything around you and your attention is constantly set on the things here, then you'll never access the things that are there. So he said, you have some responsibilities. According to scripture, there is some setting our mind on, seeking, asking, knocking, praying, and fasting that must be done. I know we hate that word. Fasting is just a no-no. That's just, we don't talk about that today. But I'm, I'm reminded of this time when the disciples went to do something that Jesus told them they could do. And when they got there, they couldn't do it. So what did the disciples do? They came back to Jesus and said, man, what's up? You said that we would have power and dominion over all spirits and we could tell them to flee and they would be cast out. And Jesus said, yes, this comes only by prayer and fasting. In other words, I gave you the ability, but now you have some responsibility. Now you have to take that skill, that thing that I've deposited within you, you have to set your mind on it and make it available. See, the problem is we've become so content with just getting to heaven and not getting heaven here. We've just hung to, and, and I'm not throwing rocks at hymnals, don't, don't get me wrong, but we've just settled with the good old gospel ship and one day I'll fly away. And, and, and I'm not against going to heaven. It's going to be glorious, okay? But God didn't, in the beginning, say, I'm going to create humanity so one day I can suck them off the earth and bring them to heaven. No, he said, I'm going to create humanity so I can bring my heaven to where they're at. But we've just become content with one day we'll get out of here. I'm not focused on the day I get out of here. I'm focusing on what I can do while I'm here. What are we doing for heaven 
here on earth. We have to be very careful that we don't try something or attempt something supernatural, and when it doesn't happen, we just build a theology around it to support the fact that it didn't work. I'm going to say that again, because that's a lot. We have to be careful that we don't attempt the supernatural, and when it doesn't happen, we just build a theology around it, because it didn't work. See, there, there's a lot of people who believe in, in the cessation of the gifts, that it doesn't work anymore, because maybe at some point someone tried it, and it didn't work, so they just built a theology around it, saying, well, it's not available anymore. But in reality... If the disciples would have said, oh, well, it must not be available anymore because we attempted it didn't work. So instead of going back to Jesus, they just built a new theology. Then what would have happened to the church that God was trying to build? Uh, there was a uh, one of the pastors at Bethel uh, seen where he said yesterday that a lot of people think that there was a day of miracles and the day is gone and no longer here. But in reality, there was only a God of miracles and that God is still alive. We don't worship a day, we worship a God. So it's still available. We have to get to the place where we will admit that there is some kind of disconnect and we'll do whatever it takes to reconnect to heaven. I don't know about you, but I've just become... Uh, discontent maybe is the, a good word for it I've become discontent in the fact that I'm not seeing what I read we're, we're not walking in and, and operating in the things that we read about and I feel like for too long the church has just become okay with it and we've built theology around it and we've hid it behind good church but if we're just going to come together week after week and just have good church I feel like we've missed the whole uh uh agenda of heaven and that agenda was that heaven would end up here heaven would become our reality so we like the disciples have to get to the point to where we're willing to go to Jesus and ask the hard question why why ain't it happening in my life why is this I had to come to that place in my life when when the doctor uh when Courtney got pregnant the doctor said something's wrong with this baby and I stood on this platform and I prayed and, and and stood together with this church and declared the goodness of God that my baby would live and he would be healthy and he would be strong and we lost the baby and I could either I could either build a theology around that and just come to the idea that maybe God is a father who doesn't answer those prayers anymore and he's not working in those things anymore. Or I, like the disciples, could turn, get on my face before God and say, what's the problem? What happened? Where's the disconnect? Because I remember in the Old Testament when Joshua lost the battle to Ai, he didn't all of a sudden say, well, they must be really good. They must be the best army and we can't beat them. No, he tore his clothes and he fell down before God and said, why did I lose? I'm a child of God. I shouldn't know what it means to lose. But we, we, we've built too much theology and too much doctrine around losing. And we've given losing the platform and we've given winning the back seat. And we don't want to talk about winning because people start to ask, well, are you winning? And we don't want to have to face the consequences of saying, well, it didn't happen today and it didn't happen today. But what are we doing about it? What are we doing about it? If everything the scripture says, that that spirit that was healing people, raising people from the dead, giving people words of knowledge, loving people beyond anything we could imagine, if that same spirit is living within me, then I want to see it. I want to see it expressed. I want to see it revealed. I want to see it manifested. 
So we have to understand that there's been some type of disconnect and we have to figure out what it is because there's nothing wrong with the spirit. The spirit is perfect and the spirit is continually just pointing to Jesus. So there's nothing wrong with the spirit. So it's not the spirit's fault. The spirit hasn't quit. The spirit hasn't given up. The spirit hasn't backed off. But something's missing. So Paul goes into this writing in in chapter three. And he starts with raised with Christ. Do I have this on there? Did I give you this, Nisha? Paul starts with raised with Christ, which is a supernatural thing. Raised with Christ is all spiritual. There's nothing physical in this that Paul is talking about right now. He's talking about a spiritual resurrection within your spirit that brings salvation. Then he moves on to a soul thing. Remember, the soul was the mind, will, the emotions, which is setting our mind. Notice the order that's happening. Because he had to first start with the spiritual, then he had to deal with the soul so that later he could deal with the natural, the flesh, the outside. The mind is the gateway through which the spirit must pass to affect our body. There is nothing wrong with your spirit. It is perfect just like Jesus. But where our mind is set is what will govern our actions. So even though you have the spirit of God himself living within you, if your mind is not set on that spirit, on that availability, then you won't act like what's inside you. Your actions are just symptoms of your mindset. So Paul knew there was no sense in dealing with the symptoms if first he didn't deal with the mindset. He knew there was an order to this thing that you can't take someone and teach them how to act right and eventually it will change their soul. Then it will change their spirit. That's not the way it works. Their spirit must be supernaturally changed by God. Then that spirit that has been changed will affect their soul when their mind is set on that thing and then it will be expressed in their outward body. So Paul knew this order and he understood this because there was a lot of stuff going on on in the church at that time that was not good. And Paul dealt with a lot of those things and a lot of those issues. But Paul was smart enough to know I'm not just going to come in and put band-aids over the symptoms. We have to come in and start dealing with the mindset. We have to start dealing with where's your mind at. This is why Paul told the church in Philippi, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. We know from Romans 12 that transformation comes from a renewed mind, not more faith. The problem is you keep praying for more faith to get what you're after when in reality you could have it if you would just allow your mind to be renewed. Everyone has been giving the measure of faith. You don't need more faith to overcome that problem in your life. You need a new mind because the faith that within you is perfect. Your faith when you're saved is perfect faith. It can accomplish anything, but it will not accomplish and override what your mind has been set on. And if you can't set your mind on the faith that's within you, then you never get to live in the reality of that faith. So Romans 12 and 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind has to be set on the things of heaven before you can operate like heaven. You're never going to love like heaven 
until your mind, your soul has been set on heaven. You're never going to you're never going to see the things that they seen in the Bible, the realities of heaven expressed if our mind can't go there first. God showed this in how he designed our body. That every time I take a step, my mind had to take that step first. My foot didn't just all of a sudden decide, you know what, I'm going to take a step. It doesn't work that way. Before my foot got there, my mind was already there. And it's the same way in your spirit. That your mind has to already be in the place that you want your body to go to. So if you can't see yourself as being delivered and you can't set your mind on being delivered, then guess what? You can have the spirit of God living within you and never be delivered. That's why people can live all their life in church with addictions, with hurts, with hang-ups, with everything. And, and, and as far as I'm concerned, probably die and still go to heaven because they're going to go to heaven based on what Jesus did and their belief in that. But never experience heaven before they get there. They'll still live depressed, oppressed, full of anxiety and addicted and whatever else because they could not set their mind on the thing that was within them. The new creation that's in your spirit has to come through your mind before it can manifest in your body. I love the way Andrew Walmack put it. He said that the mind is like a valve. And a lot of us never experience the things of God because our valve is closed. Your mind's so not set on the, he- on the things of heaven. You hear us talk about going to the grocery store, to the gym, or, or finding ourselves at a bar and just sharing the love of Jesus and bringing God in that situation. And you begin to think, man, why? Why don't I ever experience those? Why don't I ever have those situations? Probably because your mind is never in that place. And if you can't walk into the grocery store and your mind be in heaven, then heaven never comes to that grocery store. Your mind, you have to be renewed in your mind. See, the crazy thing is people tend to think that Paul got knocked off his horse, said yes to Jesus, and then became the walking reality of heaven that we read about. That is not what happened. If you study into Paul's life, you'll learn that in reality, Paul spent three years secluded, setting his mind on a third heaven, which gave him the ability to experience that heaven and walk in it. See, Paul, if you read it, I think it's Galatians, he said, I didn't receive this thing from no man. In other words, I didn't go to the disciples and say, I need you to teach me, I need you to train me and tell me everything you know. He said, no, I went to a place and I got away from everyone else and I set my mind on something that was way higher than anything you could teach me, anything you could show me. And a matter of fact, he talks about, I went into the third heavens and seen things I can't even tell you about. But because his mind was able to go there, he was able to live there. That just helped me so much. As the mind goes, so goes the body. Your actions are a reflection of where your mind is at. So if your actions never represent heaven, it's because your mind has never been in heaven. Man, that's just, that's hard. It's crazy to me how so many times we, we hear the excuse of, man, oh, I just slipped up and that came out. I just slipped up and, oh, that came out. No, really what happened was you slipped up and you revealed your mind to me. You've revealed to me where your mind was at. Because see, if your mind was in heaven, when I slipped up and did that, then guess what comes out? Heaven. Heaven. 
See, when I'm driving down the road and somebody cuts me off or something happens, I almost get in a wreck. I don't start slinging cuss words. I start thanking Jesus that I'm alive because my mind is in a place where Jesus is at and it's not in a place where they are at. And you're not going to cause me to do things outside of where my mind is at. It's time the church start taking responsibility for their actions and quit saying, oh, well, we all mess up and we all sin and we all do this and we all. If you want to buy that weak, that weak gospel, then you go ahead. But I'm going to buy a gospel that says my mind gets set in heaven and I begin to live like heaven. I begin to talk like heaven and I begin to look like heaven and I refuse to settle for anything less than heaven. Just tore a page out of my Bible. There's no need for all that. I'm so excited about these scriptures. Y'all go with me to Isaiah chapter 55. This is just going to be good. Are y'all ready for this? Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And all my life in church, this has been the most condemning scriptures in my life. When in reality, they are the greatest scriptures in your life. Let's look at this from the correct perspective. Because religion uses these scriptures and says, just admit it. You can't think like God and you can't act like God. But remember, this chapter comes right after the chapter where we're talking about the cross and what the cross made available. Let me show you what the cross made available. If you look at these scriptures and you understand what God is saying, he's saying, my thoughts are not your thoughts, so... Therefore, your ways are not my ways. My ways are higher than your ways because my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Are y'all with me? So in reality, these scriptures are not an indictment against the church. They're an invitation. God is saying, I'm inviting you to think on a level that I think on so you can act on a level that I act on. Because see, we like to just look around and read around scriptures that say stuff like, be ye holy as I am holy. You know, God said that. But we read around those kind of scriptures because we don't understand them. And instead, we jump to this scripture and say, oh, well, I did that today because, you know, I can't think like God and I can't act like God. No, you choose not to think like God. And when you choose not to think like God, then you don't have the ability to act like God. But if we learn to set our mind in the place that God is at, then I begin to think like he thinks. And all of a sudden, my actions become a symptom of where my mind is at. And if my mind is heaven, then my actions start to look like heaven. Where's your mind at, church? What an invitation. To think like God thinks. Wow. The reality of heaven in your life, the reality of heaven that you live in, will be in direct proportion to the heaven that you set your mind in. Paul set his mind on a third heaven, so he got to live and operate in a third heaven. If the only amount of heaven that you can set your mind on is the heaven that raptures you and you don't have to go to hell one day, then you'll live your life always focused on the fact that I'm not going to have to go to hell. And that's the heaven that you get. And that heaven will be glorious when you get there. It will be magnificent. But if you can press on like Paul and begin to set your mind on heaven that is a reality right now in this moment that Jesus made available to me, then you not only get to experience the amazing heaven that's coming, you get to experience the amazing heaven that is here. 
right now. Philemon 1 and 6. I was actually told recently that this was pronounced Philemon. Is that correct? I've been lied to all my life. Man, a bunch of rednecks can't pronounce nothing. Philemon 1 and 6. This is so good. Y'all ready for this? That the sharing of your faith may become effective. So how does my faith become effective? By the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in me. That's just, that's good, ain't it? Come on. So the effectiveness of my faith is governed by what I know is in me? This is, this is too much. This is too much. Nisha, what's my next slide? I think it's that. The effectiveness of your faith will be in proportion to the knowledge of what's inside you. If you don't know what's in you, you won't live like the thing that's in you. This scripture just makes it so plain. That if your faith is not effective right now in your life, it's because you don't really understand who's inside you. It's no longer I who live, but Christ that lives within me. And if Christ is in me, then my faith becomes effective. That's how I can find myself at a bar sharing the gospel with someone and them weeping tears of joy because God loves them so much. Or find myself in a hospital being asked if I can pray with someone. And I'm just sharing all Colby stuff right now. Uh, Or whatever it may be, when you begin to understand, when you begin to know, and not only know, it says acknowledge. You have to acknowledge what's inside you. You have better, wait, let me rephrase that. Not what's inside you. You have to acknowledge who is inside you. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. See, these are scriptures that we've been throwing out all our life, but they haven't affected us, changed us, or transformed us. Why? Because of the acknowledgement. We have not acknowledged the one that is within us. And when my mind is so set on the one that, because remember he said, set your mind on the things above where Christ is sitting. When my mind is set on him and him alone, then guess what becomes reality in my life? Him. He becomes what I look like. He becomes what I act like. He becomes what I talk like. And we do the works of the Father. She's always ahead of me. It's imperative that our mind be set on things above, things of the Spirit, spiritually minded. All right, we got to get one more and and then I'm, I'm out of your way, okay? Romans 8 and 6. Most of you probably know this scripture. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Does this scripture not embody everything that we're talking about? Some of you live a life that looks like death because you think like death. Some of your day is terrible before you ever start it because you thought it was going to be terrible. You woke up saying, oh, this week's going to be terrible. Well, guess what? I'm going to avoid you this week because you're about to have a terrible week. But I'm going to do like the psalmist, David, and say, today is the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. What are you rejoicing about? I'm rejoicing for the fact that God made it. Not because it went perfect. Not because I got everything I wanted. I'm just rejoicing because God made this day and I get to live in it. Man, perspective is everything. John 10.10. He came that we may have life. 
and life more abundantly. May have means the choice is yours. You could have it or you could pass up on it, whatever you want. If you want the abundant life, then set your mind on a life that is more abundant and live in it. If your life is everything but abundant, it's because your mindset has been everything but abundant. It's just so many things. Carnally minded is death, spiritual minded is life. You cannot walk in life in peace if you keep thinking like death. And to think carnally is death. The mind is the valve that allows or disallows the spirit to flow through and transform your flesh. Your flesh will never be transformed if your mind doesn't allow it to be. To deal with your actions, you must first deal with your mind. And that is exactly what Paul did in Colossians 3. And this is my last scripture, I promise. I wouldn't lie to you. Matthew 16, 23. This is Jesus. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. Why? Why would he be an offense? For you're not mindful of the things of God. You're you're thinking too carnal. And when you think carnal, you become an offense to Jesus. So my carnal mind is in opposition to Jesus. So when you're just thinking carnally, you're standing in opposition to Jesus. You're Paul on the road to Damascus when he said, why you keep kicking against this? Paul, Paul, you're in opposition to me because your mind and what you think is right. Now remember, seven verses earlier, Peter was getting praised because he revealed that Jesus, who Jesus was, Jesus said, who do you say that I am? He said, you're the son of God. Jesus said, on this I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Seven verses later, he looks at that same Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. What happened from that verse to seven verses later? He disconnected. In the in, Earlier, He says, you are the son of God. In other words, his mind was set in a place where Jesus was seated and Jesus was seated as the son of God. So he was seeing that he was mindful of that. But later he becomes, he he no longer becomes mindful of the things of God and Jesus calls him Satan. So that tells me that when I get carnally minded, I'm not acting like Jesus. I'm acting like y'all said it, not me. I want you to understand something about this. There's a very, uh, very false understanding of these scriptures uh, that, that I don't think this church buys into at all, that, that Jesus was saying that he was going to build the church on Peter himself. To believe that would just be crazy because Peter was so up and down and crazy and in and out. I mean, a few verses later, he calls him Satan. Then a little bit after that, Peter cuts off somebody's ear. Then after that, Peter denies him three times. For Jesus to say, I'm about to build my church on you would have been ludicrous. So what really happened here What we understand is that Jesus was saying on that revelation of who I am, I will build my church and the gates of hell cannot prevail. But I believe that we've even settled for a little bit less than the fullness of a revelation, even in that understanding. And I want to show you what that is. I want to show you what took place in this moment. In this moment, they're sitting around hanging out and Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And they're saying, oh, they say you're all these people. And then Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And in that moment, Peter's spirit gives him a revelation. The spirit within Peter reveals to him who Jesus is. 
And in that moment, Peter has to set his mind on what the Spirit has just showed him. And once his mind has been set on that thing, he expresses it through his flesh and says, you are the Son of God. So Jesus said, this is what I'm about to build my church on. I'm going to build my church on the fact that people will get a revelation of me in their spirit. And they will so set their mind on that revelation that then that revelation will be expressed through their flesh. And Satan can't do anything with that. See, Satan, he really doesn't care if you come up and say a prayer. He really doesn't even care if you come up and get saved and you get a new spirit. What he's worried about, what he deals with, is his goal is to come in and disconnect what happened on the inside from what could happen on the outside. So that's why Satan will come and attack your mind. Because he knows if I can take their mind out of that place, then they'll never operate in that place. So what he did was he comes to Peter after Peter was just in a place where he reveals who Jesus is and disconnects Peter's mind and puts Peter's mind on the things around him. Remember where I started? Set your mind on things above and not on the things around you. And he took Peter's mind and put it on the things around him which disconnected him from heaven and Jesus says, you just became an offense to me. Just in that moment. So my question to you is, are we living as an offense to Jesus? Because we've become so carnally minded? Because all we can think about is the stuff here? All I can think about is what's, and yet the whole time quote scriptures like, we walk by faith and not by sight. Do we? Or am I so focused on what's around me that my mind's never up there. So what's up there never comes down here. So the question we start with, why? Why don't we see those things? Why aren't we living this abundant life that Jesus promised us? Why why aren't we seeing the things that we know have been made available? It's a simple answer. We've just become disconnected. For the spirit within us to be expressed outside us it first has to flow through our mind our soul now I do want to say this and 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 I feel like this should be encouraging to someone it was to me that that you have to understand Courtney you go ahead and come up you have to understand that when your spirit gives you a revelation that revelation has to run the gauntlet that revelation is going to have to go through years of probably bad theology It's going to have to go through what you can see, what you can feel, what the doctors are saying, what the bank is saying. It has to go through all that stuff and it has to work its way through all those things and all those things are in your mind. And that revelation has to make it all through that before it can be expressed on the outside. That's why sometimes you'll feel something in your spirit and you just know, you know that God is just giving you something in your spirit and immediately you feel that war begin to take place where you're not really sure what's going on, but you feel like you're just fighting to, I want to say this or I want to do this, but I'm not sure. It's because that revelation is running the gauntlet in your mind and it's just going through 
And it's trying its best to make it to the surface. It's trying its best to get on the outside. I believe this is why Jeremiah said, it's like a fire shut up in my bones. That I was going to keep, he said, Jeremiah actually said, I was going to keep my mouth shut. I wasn't going to say anything. See, we praise Jeremiah for what he said, but in reality, Jeremiah wanted to be quiet. He didn't want to say anything. And some of you have beat yourself up because the revelation or the the word or whatever comes and you want, you, you know, there's that war going on and you don't really want to step out and you don't really want to say it. And then you beat yourself up and you condemn yourself and say, oh, I must not really be a Christian or, or whatever. God's not happy with me. God's going to cut me from the team, whatever, all this garbage that gets fed into you and you, you knock yourself out. When God is saying, look, just, just set your mind on the things above. And it will create a less restricted flow for that revelation to begin to manifest on the outside of you. This is exactly what the apostles were doing. When they seen the man sitting down asking for money, the spirit revealed to them what he looked like up there. Right? Because in heaven, there's no sickness, there's no hurt, there's no disease, no one's crippled, no one's lame. So the Spirit revealed to them, this is what he looks like in heaven. So they set their mind so much on what he looked like in heaven that they just positioned him like he was positioned in heaven. The problem is, we lose it in the positioning. A lot of situations in your life are down. They're beggarly, they're they're weak, and they're positioned like this. And the whole time, God's given you a revelation in your spirit saying, this is what it looks like in heaven. This is how it's positioned in heaven. And we lose it in the positioning point instead of seeing it in heaven, saying, okay, I trust you, God, that in heaven, it's standing, it's firm, it's, 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 it's full, it's whole. And so believing it, Colby, so believing that, that even though my situation's positioned like this right now, I see how it's positioned in heaven. So I myself take on responsibility and start positioning my situation like it's positioned in heaven. Does that make sense? This is what Jesus said he would build the church on. That we begin to so catch a revelation of what it looks like in heaven that we begin to position the things in our life to look the same way. Some of you, this will be on a big scale. Finances, maybe it's a healing, maybe it's a miracle. Some of you will be on a small scale. Scale. Some of you, God is revealing to you what your attitude looks like in heaven and you've yet to position yourself to have the same attitude that's in heaven. Some of you are so negative, your mind is so negative that you can't operate in the positivity of heaven because heaven is always positive. Heaven never sees the negativity. It always sees the silver lining. It always sees the good. But your mind is not there seeing those things, so you don't position things to be that way. Your day usually is horrible because you got up and seen it as being horrible. But what if you got up in the morning and begin to set your mind on heaven and things were so awesome in heaven, you begin to align and position your day to be as awesome as heaven is. Multiple times I've had people ask me about why I can always be happy, why I can always smile, why I don't freak out in situations, why I don't lose my head, I don't throw cuss fits, I don't do those kinds of things. And as I was studying this, God began to reveal the answer to me. This is why. Because I've learned to get up and set my mind somewhere else. And when my mind is there, then what's here doesn't affect me. 
if my mind is there, then you can't make me react any certain way. See, the problem is when people and situations are causing you to react and respond in certain ways, it's because you've given them too much position and you've set your mind on those things. But if you can set your mind on things above them, in other words, you can't make me mad. Come on, that's a bold statement. Some of you can't say that right now. But I'm going to tell you by the grace of God, you couldn't make me hate you. You couldn't make me cuss at you. You couldn't make me dislike you because my mind is set way above you. And you don't have control over what I think about you. Because you know how I'm thinking? I'm thinking about you the way Jesus is thinking about you. And Jesus hung on a cross and looked at the soldiers that put him there and said, God, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. So when you act stupid and you're just being a moron trying to get me stirred up, I just look at them and say, God, they don't even know what they're doing. Their mind's not in the right place. Man, this is Christian right here. 